In the world of recruiting, some people have seen it all. They built recruiting teams from the ground up, hired hundreds of people in the best companies in the world, developed their expertise year after year. I'm Robin Choi, and I'm on a mission to collect their learnings. These are their stories. Hey, everybody. Hello, Brian. It's nice to be here, Robin. I'm excited to chat. Yeah, thanks a lot for joining me on The Modern Recruiter today. You answered my call on LinkedIn to share your experience building your agency, Novel Search, and that's what we're going to be doing today. So you agreed to a lot of transparency, share your numbers, share the good and the bad on your journey to find that's interesting. You have a goal for yourself to reach 5 million in revenue in the next year. So you're going to tell us more about this and that journey to those 5 million. The interesting thing about Norwell is you're closer to a collective or a group than to an actual agency. So you have a bit of a different approach where everybody owns their own pipeline and a client. So we're gonna, you're going to be telling us all about that. And before we start, can you tell us a bit more about your own backstory? You worked a lot with uh, venture-backed companies, especially at Sequoia. So can you tell us a bit more about this? And then we'll go straight into uh, Norwell search and, and try to... Uh, analyze the company and to understand the company. No, absolutely. And, and first, just thank you for, you know, hosting this conversation. I think I live and breathe recruiting. So the opportunity to chat more about it, but also share that knowledge. So thank you for saving this space. And thank you to Austin Hugh actually uh, tagged me in one of your posts about, you know, wanting to hear more about from agency recruiters about how they built their business. And I, and I love to share this journey. I, I don't think there's a need for gatekeeping. I was actually just looking at my LinkedIn. I think I've been doing this for 14 years now. I started an agency hiring technical talent, quickly joined Google and was hiring site reliability engineers, joined Apple and, you know, right when we acquired Siri. So got a chance to be part of like, you know, a 60 person startup and but with the resources of an Apple. And I wanted to keep diving on this journey to supporting like early stage founders is like, that's what I was excited for is how do I build a company and how do I get that experience? So it took me to Uber, you know, which is one of the fastest growing companies and hiring, you know, 15 engineers a month there. Then I wanted to take the chance and build my own organization. I got to lead talent for boosted boards and build a talent function. After that, I joined the machine learning hedge fund and built out the engineering organization there. More recently, I was at Sequoia Capital partnering with their founders, just as there's a big need for early stage founders to get resources to build out their organizations. And, and what I found is that a big thing they were asking for is how do we hire engineers? And my career is built on hiring engineers. So that's what I built Narwhal as. It's how do I give me and, and other recruiters that I think are fantastic the opportunity to work with some amazing startups as I built out my network. So really partnering with early stage startups now and helping them build out their organizations. All right. Nice. So uh, yeah, a lot of household names, very famous names, especially as it comes to tech recruiting. So Google, Apple, Uber, and then smaller companies as well, startups, the venture capital, finance. So you've seen a lot of stuff. And then at Sekia, you worked a lot with uh, with funders. I understand today this is still your main focus with Noble, mostly working with early stage, what would be like Series A, Series B tech companies, would that be correct? Exactly. Series A and Series B, we do take on some pre-seed and seed, but I'd say the bulk of our clients are, are Series A and Series B. All right. And you launched Norwell in uh, summer of 2022. Is that right? Uh, June uh, 2022. Yeah. So we're a year and a half in. Okay, cool. Can you tell us more about uh, what 
point did you decide to create the company? Sure. And what were the first weeks like? Like you suddenly <laughs> you have uh, like all the options in the world, but still you need to get your clients. So how did that work out for you? Sure. So I've always had the idea to start a company. I, I started a basketball training company with my brother some years back. So I understand like growth to a point. And then I've been building hiring team or building engineering organizations. But my thought was like, until somebody's beating me over the head to provide a service, I, I don't really have a service. And that's what I was finding. And being at Sequoia, it seemed like most of the founders, one of the first things they were asking is like, we need help hiring their engineering teams. And I just didn't feel like I could focus on building a machine to supply that demand. So I, I could, you know, make introductions for some of our portfolio companies, but you're, I'm, you know, myself, I could be supporting multiple portfolio companies. So you can only really help from that seat so far. I really wanted to be able to build a machine that can one, bring more later stage recruiters to be able to bring their experience to supporting those source, those roles. And a lot of times, like, especially right now with like fractional hiring, maybe a company's not ready to bring on three full-time recruiters, but they still need somebody that has good experience and a network to hire engineers to focus on their roles and make introductions. So that's what I did. I grabbed some of my friends that I knew that had great backgrounds. We operate as an agency because I really want the sourcers to be highly rewarded, whereas most agency sourcers are getting less than 10% of a hire, where ours are close to a 50-50 split. So they're, they're getting a ton of opportunity to make some great cash and get exposure to early stage startups. So I'm mitigating a, some of the risk in a sense, but we're still doing contingent searches. So you know, you've got to make hires to make some money. So it really came because it felt like our founders had a huge issue in hiring and networking with engineers. So that's what we're supplying is talent to founders that don't have the bandwidth to source themselves. We're basically doing the same work, but just to do it alone and for more clients, it's just the portfolio companies at Sequoia, right? Like you were like, this is basically what I should be doing more. I don't have the resource to do it more now, but I feel like there's an opportunity. I already have the network. People come to me for advice. They would like, if I had the bandwidth, I would do it. So no, let's free up the bandwidth and let's team up with a few other people so we can manage more clients at the same time. Right. Because when you are internal, you're, you're managing a lot more issues. You know, it, it's kind of really thinking about the whole structure of a company. So you just don't have the bandwidth to really generate and, you know, focus on interacting with the right people. Even as a recruiter, as a full-time recruiter, what is half of your time able to go into actually interacting with candidates, getting referrals? And our goal is to build a machine to do that. So our team, 90% of our time is interacting with candidates, researching pipelines, exploring, you know, technical areas to see how we can generate pipeline for our clients. And by the way, like, I would expect that everybody listening to that podcast uh, knows Sequoia Capital, but if they don't, it's one of the oldest, most legendary uh, venture capital firm. They invested in uh, YouTube, in Facebook. So yeah, just in case. How many portfolio companies did you oversee at Sequoia? And then how many clients did you personally um, manage when you started a company? Sure. So at Sequoia, you probably support anywhere from three to five clients at a time. Here, because we have a recruiting, bigger recruiting team, we probably lean closer to eight to 12, depending on the bandwidth of the team. Okay. And can you tell us more about your first client? Like, how do you get that first client? Sure. So you actually interviewed Jose Gerardo. And shout out to Brian Bocchino. He's a good friend of mine. We work together at Uber. He focuses on executive search. They're at Riviera right now, focusing on executive search, I think, for some early stage companies. 
And a lot of my business came from Brian to start. It was, you know, he'd focusing on executive search and as he'd get, you know, engineering roles, he'd share them with me. And that was actually one of my first hires. It's actually funny. My first submittal was my first hire. It was like one for one. And then like, uh, you know, engineering hiring doesn't go that easily, but it just kind of gave me the confidence to know that I can quickly calibrate on a role and then go on my network and say like, Hey, who do I think is great for this opportunity? Reach out to some people that I've interacted with in the past. And then, you know, sometimes it's just that easy to make a hire. Oftentimes it's not, but it was uh, sorry, nuanced health. They're a machine learning biotech company. Okay. And the client went from referral. It's funny because it's uh, so now that I've been doing more of these conversations, it's not the first time that I hear people doing like their first placement on their first introduction. It, it feels like there is a beginner's luck or pattern here. So, uh, all right. So that's how you get your first client. And then how did you get more clients? Like the first ones, were there mostly people you work with before at Sequoia or referrals? I guess it's always the first degree network, right? Sure. Yeah, I know. I, I got some good referrals from Sequoia. I'm actually working with the client right now that Sequoia backed. And I think when I launched the search firm, I assumed that most of my business would be from Sequoia. It's actually come from a lot more of my network. I get some great recommendations from them, but it's really my network is my friends that I've worked with in the past, the engineers I've hired in the past, the product leaders I've hired in the past, that there are some people that I've helped in the past. And they'll circle back and say like, hey, Brian, thanks for, for being supportive back then. We know you do good work. Parafin, one of the companies we've made some hires for last year, I actually helped one of their founders. They're actually not a Sequoia firm, but the recruiter had joined Parafin when they were earlier stage. And she was, and, and I just reached out and said like, hey, can, if I can ever share any resources and, you know, even just having some conversations and being supportive and, and making some introductions when I launched my search firm and they needed those resources. And she knew that we were great with hiring technical talent. She reached out. So it's really like, nurturing those relationships, being good to people that's circled back and been most of my business is, is doing well and just building those relationships, touching base with those friends. That's kind of been a lot of my successful business development is checking in with friends and seeing if I can share resources. How can I be helpful? Can you share a bit more numbers about that first year and a half of activity with Nowell Search? How many hires did you make? How much revenue? How did you split that? How big is the team? You were saying that you split about 50% of the revenue with the team. So how does that work exactly? Sure, sure. So we've made upwards of about 20 hires in the last year. We do contingent searches. So each hire is going to be between 18 and 22% or so, depending on the, the difficulty of the role. It's not quite 50% because I, we do pay, Narwhal pays for tools. So there is some that goes to that, but you can kind of come to your numbers by multiplying 20 by, you know, about 40K or so, which is, you can kind of expect from each technical hire. And then, yeah, it's broken down from there. So it's, you know, I think when you now start thinking of how you create a scalable service, you know, I think that starts to change what that looks like. I think what, what I really wanted to create was a uh, structure to where my recruiting team can have access to working on, on great opportunities and great rewards. I, I'm not really sure how many other agencies are going to, you know, give 20K bounties on opportunities to work on venture-backed roles. So that's kind of where we started. I do want to move to a more consistent model, you know, and, and kind of start to look at more of like a software as a service model, but that'll be for 2024. 
What do you mean by that? Like creating some kind of recurring revenue? Yeah, yeah. And a service that, that collects that. I think like even with some of the founders that we're partnering with, maybe they're not ready to bring on full-time agencies or even, you know, looking for contingent support. I think there's opportunities to build tools for early stage founders. If you think that like 50% of their time is spent on hiring, like what are we doing and how are they spending that time? And they're trying to leverage inefficient networks to now generate that pipeline. So how can we do that for them? And I just haven't crossed that bridge yet, but excited to build on it in 2024. Yeah, I know it's a big challenge. A lot of recruiting agencies look at the SaaS and recurring model and they like, okay, I like this because it's more predictable and I don't get like that seasonality where during in December, I'll make a 200% of the average revenue. And in, uh, I don't know, August, I'll just make 50%. And I think we can do both. I think I still want to remain core to being a, a recruiting agency, but I want to dive deeper into like, how do we continue to build solutions for founders? And I think it just might play out to, you know, tools that founders can use to maybe generate some of this talent. So I think we can do a bit of both. I'd be curious to see how that plays out. We'll, we'll touch base in a year and we'll see. Yeah, because uh, uh, that's that's a tricky one. And the opposite is true as well. Like that's the case for us. Like we kind of do both. So we have recurring, we have a software with subscription, and we also have a marketplace with a placement fee, a contingency fee. So we manage to do both at the same time. But a lot of companies that only do SaaS so look at the agency model and go, like, oh, "Wow, that's so profitable. I wish I had that profitability." But it's at the expense of predictability as well and recurring. So yeah. Tough one, but I, I can understand why you want to go there more. How big is the team today? And do these people also work on their own or for like, because you're saying they're very autonomous, you give them a big chunk of the invoice, but like are there loads, using quotation marks here, but that, are there loads to um, work on their researches as well? Yeah, absolutely. Everybody's 1099 on our team. We're, we're, you know, all contractors. So I actually promote and say like, you know, take on as, as much as you can. I, I do think as much. We do have six recruiters that are focusing just on our roles, but I do partner with other friends that maybe they run their own agencies or just want to do sourcing on their own and not be full part of our team. And I'll split fees with them. I, I think that's what's so great about, well, especially our stage is that it doesn't need to be framed perfectly that, you know, we're very much going into clients and trying to understand like what their issues are and, and meet them where they're at. And then from there, how do we make sure that we're getting resources to be able to generate the pipeline that they need? So for the most part, it's going to be coming from pipeline from our team. Sometimes, you know, I may be partnering with a friend I've hired within the past that's working on a similar search and they may have some, a friend, you know, they may refer somebody they've worked with in the past. So we kind of keep that door open. Nice. And just for our European audience who's not familiar with the uh, US lingo, a 1099 is a contractor. Oh, sorry. It's just a way to, yeah, just in case. Sorry, just because that uh, contract and we're all fee-based, so we all live off of the higher uh, bonus. Nice. Okay. And are you the only one doing the business development or would you say that you're doing most of it or not even and people are low to bring their own clients? And if they're allowed to bring their own clients, why would they do it and not take the clients on their own? I honestly look at the bigger picture of like, it's our job to hire is like, if I only looked at it success as the hires that I made through my business, like, I think that'd just be extremely limiting. So sometimes I am, you know, sometimes my sourcers are working on roles for friends and I might not get anything out of it. And I'm, I'm completely fine with that. I think it all pays itself back in the long run. All right. 
How do you feel about the future of recruiting, the gains in productivity can be obtained with AI, but also just simply automation? Have you measured this over your career? And have you implemented anything over the past year and a half that really transformed the way you work to save a lot of time for you? Sure. I think that if we don't automate as much as we can, we're going to get left behind as you you hear recruiters get concerned about like the advancement of tooling and resources, AI and recruiting. I think it really is just an opportunity to help us become even more efficient, even with whether it's editing a podcast, right? Whether it's we're working with an AI company and being able to ask ChatGPT what competitors in the space or the size should we be considering to explore as well. I think it's just like, why would you not use Google? Why would you not use an iPhone? You know, like, so I, for me, I try and leverage as many tools as possible. That's actually how I ran across you and, and Hire Suite is that, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to think, be thoughtful of like what tools fit my business model because we're working with such early stage company and so much of the work is networking and sourcing. We use a tool called Teamable and they apply some AI to the work that they're, you know, to their sourcing tool. But for the most part, we're still going through our networks and interacting with talent pretty manually. I think it's a balance of how can you be thoughtful, but also interact with the right people. I think AI can help us like make decisions on how we interact with profiles, but still not quite there to be able to make actionable decisions on you know candidates. So we're still filling that gap. But any opportunity to leverage AI, when I think about the future of hiring, I, I think a lot of hiring process is broken and it's often not being spent, like you don't often get your best engineers focusing on hiring issues in an organization. So I think like when we get to that point, I think we're getting some phenomenal founders like yourself, Dover. I think we're putting a lot of great energy into putting together recruiting tools. I don't know if we have that meld of like great recruiting company founders, but also people that have recruited in-house that know some of the pain points. And I think the closer we can get that, and that's why I love what I'm building is like a lot of this is going to be very customer based and like what challenges are you, you running into that we can solve? So I just think there's a lot of opportunity, but I think it's heading in the right direction with conversations like this, with tools that are popping up that are making us more efficient. I'm all for it. Do you think that technology makes it easier to today create your company and operating like this? So you're kind of all contractors, but you probably share some of the same tools. You probably share some communication. I don't even know. Are you all based in the same place? You're in LA, right? I'm the only one in LA. Actually, we have one other employee in LA. The other are a couple are in the Bay, a couple are in Austin. One's out in Napa. Pretty open. One spent their summer in Mexico City. So we're pretty flexible. We, you know, as long as we can communicate on Slack, we interact with candidates on Google Hangout or through a phone call. So that's is like, and we have Gmail. So we, we don't really need to sit next to each other to be effective. And the clients as well are open to this, right? Like uh, you don't even need to meet your client in person, except it for the uh, one recruiting, like the one networking event maybe per month or some, something like this, right? Right. But I've also been at companies, you know, and been internal recruiters where I've never met stakeholders in person, I think, you know, it kind of comes with our magic bit is like, how do you now try and like understand where a company is at and, and understand culture through a video chat? And, and for us, it's really just making sure we're communicating their story the right way. So trying to translate that as much as possible. So a lot of that goes into calibration. And I think we're able to do that online pretty well. All right. So my question was, do you think that 
things changed since 2020 that allow you today to create novel search and operate it as it is today or not really? Like, do you think that the technology really changed the opportunities for recruiters to create their own shop? I think so. Even before 2020, like I was still hiring recruiting agencies without meeting them in person, but there was still that sales piece of going into an office, you know, sitting down, building a relationship. I think the pandemic has just made it to where you can build true relationships through video chat. I love that. I think what it's done is now create the opportunity for people to do good work anywhere. You know, yes, you want to be in a similar time zone, but I think it's also with, you know, San Francisco's talent has dispersed. And yes, there's still a lot of people that want to live in San Francisco and work in San Francisco, but there's a lot of people that have done well for solid tech companies that aren't moving back. So I think like now being able to still leverage some of those skill sets is going to help push companies forward, you know, like, it, and it's not even just like engineering talent, whether it's somebody that was an accountant at Twitter in San Francisco and then decided to move to Utah. You know, I think now it's created a space to where companies can hire from anywhere, but it's going to be, you know, based on their culture. I still have some clients that want to hire in San Diego. They want to hire in San Francisco or New York City. So it really depends on the client. Right. So you've seen a lot over the past, uh, I think it was 14 years, the industry changed, new technology, the pandemic. What would be the advice that you would give to your like 14 years younger self at the beginning of your career? What are the things that you discovered in those past 14 years that you didn't expect and that you think would be valuable to teach to your younger self? Yeah, I think I was avoiding difficult moments. I think I thought life was just like living in comfort. And I think what I've learned is like, you learn to ride the wave or dance in the rain, however you want to call it is like, you know, whether it's the market crashing, you know, the ups and downs with crypto. I think like when you commit to working in technology, which I think we are in the space that I'm excited for is the growth of technology. You have to understand that this comes in waves and you just kind of learn to surf it. So I would have told myself like, get ready to surf and just like keep jumping into the most difficult you know, situations you could, because that's where I feel like I've gotten the most growth. Whereas I, I loved working at Sequoia. I think for me, I, I've grown up in the Bay Area. I, I grew up in San Francisco. I'm very Bay Area. And I think I needed to get out of my comfort zone. And, and I moved to LA a year and a half ago and, and launched Narwhal Search. And it's, I've just had so much opportunity from learning how to market, learning how to build an accounting system, learning how to interact with clients, learning how to be a partner for clients learning how to build a business, learning how to manage an organization. I think like I would tell myself to keep throwing myself in the fire. I think I did that solidly well. I don't know if I had the confidence to know that I could build my own company. So kudos to you. You, you jumped into the fire a lot earlier. Yeah. <laughs> I was more uh, like uh, stupidity than uh, anything else. But, uh, you know, uh, that's the advice I would give to myself. Like, this is way too hard. You can't do it. <laughs> don't do it. But then when you don't know you cannot do it, then just easier kind of. Right. And look how far you've come, right? Is I, I think you're in your 60s and for, for this podcast, I, you're seven years in, in building your business. It's so impressive to be along this journey. I'm sure that you've seen the ups and downs. It's just being on the founder side, you, you get hit a bit harder. Yeah. Would you recommend your younger self to create your company before? Like 
you waited 14 years to do it. You did it before, right? With your brother, you said that you worked on the, what was it? We did a basketball training company. So I, all right. I actually, and, and it's hard to say, right? It's if you look at like the founders of Dover, right? Like recent MIT grads, they, you know, they, they didn't do 10 years in a recruiting organization and they're building a, a great product and finding users and, and huge use cases, right? So I, it's hard to, to say what route works perfect. For me, I felt like, I didn't know if I saw a concrete enough example of users having issues to be able to build something. And I think like being a technical recruiter and solving the challenge and getting the reps really gave me the confidence to understand how to solve the pain point for founders, but also the ability to do, right? Is like, if you look at other tools and services, you're still not seeing that they're able to hit mark on hiring technical talent. And, and we do that very well. So I think like, Having that experience is really what shaped what Narwhal is and why we were able to come out of the gates and, and grab clients. And then, you know, going to Sequoia gave me the repetitions and interacting with investors and product builders and founders, right? So for me, I, I think it just like armed my repertoire with the skills I needed to be exactly where I am. Would I have told myself to take more risks? Yes, I probably would have jumped fully into early stage companies earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I, I probably would have just tried to build a company with some friends, uh, but I just wasn't there yet. So interesting. Okay, and if we go back to Norwell search, so you you gave us a few numbers. You said that the average hire, the average placement is forty k. You made about twenty um, placement in the last uh, eighteen months, uh, the first eighteen months of the company. When we prepared that episode, you, you confided to me that your goal is to reach five million in revenue within the next three years. How do you plan on doing this? What's the goal from there? Where do you feel you have the most leverage, the bigger opportunity to to reach that target? Sure. I, I think it's just still such a big pain point, right, is that there are over a thousand companies receive their Series A in the U.S. and over almost 4,000 companies receive seed stage funding, right? So the clients are here. They need to hire technical talent. How do we get better at that, right? Is like, how do we submit fewer candidates to move from phone screen to on-site to offer accept. So a big part of that is like, yes, while we have 20 hires, we've, I think we have 15 other offers that didn't get accepted, right? So we're already pretty close to 40 hires if we run more efficiently and, and we're just more thoughtful, right? Is this is my first year doing business development, right? So a lot of my time is going to that. So I think it starts with being more efficient in how we're running our business. It also starts with making sure that we're spending our time with the right clients and customers and calibrating as fast as possible. And then it's, you know, building an elite network. I think we've already done a good job of really, you know, leveraging our experiences to ask our favorite people who are their favorite people and, and how do we build a system of referring great talent. I think it's really just kind of maximizing that and then also having the right clients to hire for, right, is like. I think we do seed and series, sorry, series A and series B really well. I think we could do pre-seed and seed a lot better. So how can I start to capture providing services for seed and pre-seed when it doesn't always mean, you know, just building pipeline for them because some of that needs to come from those founders. So maybe there's tools that we can help set them up to be successful. So I think it's really starting to move like Narwhal from just a service to like I talked about is like what offerings can we build to help founders be even more efficient. All right. So if you look at the the numbers, 5 million in revenue out of 40K per hire, that's only 125 hires per year. 
And as you say, like close to a thousand companies receive, I don't know, they, these are your numbers, but I trust your numbers. A thousand companies receive Series A. It's on Crunchbase. <laughs> yeah. It's more or less this. It's not like, it's not 10 million. It's not 10 either. So, so it's both a lot and not so much at the same time. You just need to make 10 hires per month. A lot of people get there. A lot of people fail getting there as well, but it's like, it's manageable. How many people do you think you'll need in the team or in the collective to reach those about 10 hires per month or 125 hires per year? And do you think you'll keep that model of that collective model or do you think you'll try to in-house more or what's the vision for the team? Sure, I would like to to get to a place to where we can build a team internally. I would like to you know get to a place where they can be rewarded based on the equity of the company. We're just not there yet, you know, and kind of thinking about like, do we want to live as a service or really start to explore living off some of the software solutions? So I think that's big, figuring out that next step is big for us. But I think the journey is the more important thing is like, yes, I do want to get to $5 million, but my, my partner reminds me like, Brian, you just went from, you know, starting a company to now I, I've interacted with over 70 clients in the last two years, right? Now I get a chance to be face to face with and be, you know, problem solve for founders. We've had some amazing clients already. We've made some great hires. So it's like, Yes, I have this goal and want to try to start thinking about what the future of Narwhal is. But like, also, I have to remember that I've been lucky enough to be able to work with some amazing clients. We, we, we're working with Reality Defender. It's a Series A AI company, and we've got like eight engineering hires to make. So there's just like so much in front of us as well. So I think it's one is I think with a elite team of 10 recruiters, I, I think you should be able, each recruiter should be able to make 10 hires a year. That should get us close to that number. Uh, so, you know, can some, you know, be outliers and get 15, 20 hires? Can I build a system to where we have that much business to do that well? So, yeah, I, I think like we have the bandwidth of the team. I think I may look at bringing on one or two more sourcers to really help with some of our, our smaller clients. But yeah, I think it's really just us being more efficient, us really making sure that like our team has the best tools possible. They're spending their time on the right direction and we're working on like with clients that we think we can do well with. So I think it's there. It, it's just like making sure that we're doing the right things along the journey to set us up to get there. And that's kind of how I've lived my, my, my life, right? Is like, I was a very bad free throw shooter. I was a basketball player, so I use a lot of basketball references. But I shot 50% my freshman year in college at the free throw line and realized that it takes hundreds of reps, you know, every day to get better. And I got up to 75% my senior year, but it's the every night in the gym that made me better. So really trusting the, the process. So I do the same thing with Narwhal. As long as we're doing good work, I think we're going to get there. Yeah, trust the process. If we use that conversation as an opportunity for you to send questions to your future self in three to five years, what are you wondering now, something that you haven't figured out completely that you think you'll figure out in the next three to five years? And what question would you like to ask to your future self? And then uh, in 2027, 20, 28, you'll listen to that podcast again. You'll be like, okay, no, I know. Yeah. So I did a conversation with um, Han Shin. Uh, he was one of the directors of engineering when I was at Uber. And one thing he really helped me think about is like most of his career has been like building products for his partner. He was at Facebook. He was at Uber. Right. So thinking about how he can build products that, that she's excited for. I started to lean in that direction and the thought of like, 
he was like, well, what products are my kids gonna love? And that's what I'm starting to think about. Like, and I have a child coming late January. So this is kind of pushing me in that direction. But like, how is my child going to find opportunity? You know, how are they going to get connected to exciting opportunities? So, because I think there's so much talent out there and you can talk to the best engineers, great product designers, and you ask them, hey, what, what roles are you exploring and how did you con get connected to them? And the, it's usually answered by like, well, I found this job on LinkedIn. A friend told me about this one. Maybe I knew somebody at an Andrews and Horowitz, but it's a very limiting view on what type of opportunity is out there. So long-term short, I really want to like start thinking about like how I can help my child find opportunity and what that's going to look like for their generation. So starting to dive into that. LinkedIn feels like <laughs> I don't love living on LinkedIn, you know, it, it, because it's because I'm a recruiter, it's necessary. I don't know if my child's going to be as excited to find opportunities through LinkedIn. That's a good question. And uh, hopefully in three to five years, there will be a, an alternative need. Yeah. Yeah, it might take a little bit. LinkedIn has a chunk of that market, but LinkedIn's also going for later stage companies. And I think it really just goes back to like, how are we helping some of these earlier stage ideas get the adequate teams necessary? So slamming my head against the wall, I, I wake up at 4 a.m. trying to think about, you know, how do we help these amazing companies build their founding teams? Cool. Well, thanks a lot, Brian. Thanks for sharing everything about your journey, your numbers, your thoughts and questions. We'll keep an eye out for you and we'll check back again in, uh, in two or three years then. And of course, we'll stay in touch together. But, uh. Sounds good, Robin. I appreciate you bringing me into this conversation and thanks for continuing it. It's, you have a lot of great gems for recruiters to grab. Early in my career, I don't think I ever had a place to be able to listen to such different views. So so thank you for pushing this forward. I know it's tough as a founder, but but so appreciated that for recruiters to have like a safe space. So thank you. Did you leave a review on Spotify or Apple podcast? It's coming. That's the best way to thank us. Uh, so, and if you're listening to this as well, please do leave a review. Thanks a lot, Brian. Of course. See you, Robin. Hey there, this is Robin. Most of our listeners come from word of mouth. So thanks a lot for your support. And if you enjoy the players, please keep on sharing it with your team and friends. Stay tuned for the next episode. And if you can't wait, follow me on LinkedIn for more content on recruiting. Talk to you next week.